impact his, um, his life and his death influenced others, but also um, Herod was influenced by wickedness, um, uh, by, um, by the dance of, of Herodias' daughter. Uh, we think about the impact of sin around us and, and praying that God would help us as believers to, um, to have a right thought and heart towards sin. Uh, I get newsletters uh, talking about um, uh, Planned Parenthood trying to redo uh, abortions now even before that's been legally decided and uh, how we can pray against that and how we can challenge um, those kind of things um, where we can, or at least in our thinking, to think properly and, and to pray for God's work in ministry. How often do we minister to um, um, someone who may have considered or, or may be in that, um, in that thought pattern, how we minister to them at work or in the neighborhood. So um, let's pray for our ministry in, in that way to keep going. Um, pray that we have good influences um, in, instead of the negative influences that are all around us. So I want to just encourage you to, to, to think and to pray in that way. And the other thing to think and to pray for is, as I mentioned, Jesus needed to spend time alone. Um, praying for our own spiritual strength and our own spiritual walk, our, our time alone with God. Are you spending some personal time alone? Are you taking some time to connect with God and, and get away from distractions um, in your life? Taking, uh, you can't always do like this weekend, go on a men's retreat. You can't do that every week, but you need to have some regular time where you can um, meet with the Lord and and have some real time just get in the way. One of the things that, that I like to do, um, I try to be on time or try to be early so I'm not rushed and hurried at different things and I can have time to get my thoughts together. Whether it's at work, uh, I like <laughs> to be among the first there. I don't like coming into a building full. I like coming into it empty, and I have some time to reflect, some time to get my thoughts together before all the hustle and the rush comes. And so that's one of the things that that um, that that I can do. Uh, it helps me to um, to keep to hold my thoughts, to keep my thoughts, and to reflect properly to begin my day. <clears throat> Uh, what do you do? I don't know what some of the things that you do that might be helpful to you or uh, and may be helpful to others. And maybe you want to share something you do to uh, spend time with the Lord or to, to have a time of, of um, a health time, uh, private time, solace, uh, getting away with the Lord. Anybody want to share anything that they do with that or try to do on a regular basis? All right. You had your hand up. Here, <laughs> our young people um, spending time with the Lord—that's special. Heidi, I have a, a office at school, and of course, I'm I'm pastor there, but I still feel funny 
um, praying in my office by myself. Oftentimes I have somebody else come in and, and we can pray together. But when I'm by myself, I feel funny praying. By my, like people might think I'm asleep or, you know, they, they, you just, you know, I want to close my eyes and somebody come, come around the corner and they see me. What is he doing? Um, so I often have to go and take a walk. Walk, and as I walk, I can pray. I can meditate or I can work through my thoughts. Um, you know, we don't often get time to just think. We do so much. You got to do this. You got to do that. Time to think and just reflect. Um, think through, filter through what you're doing and, and, and let God in on it and, and, and hear his voice. And so I'm, I'm thank you for sharing those, those different things that, that you do. And it's good to know that, that you're, you're, you're spending that time. So praise God for that. And we saw the four living creatures. <clears throat> of Ezekiel 1. And Ezekiel is a very visual book. And we'll start to get more towards the theme of the book as we go through. But we saw the four living creatures. These strange creatures with four different faces. Four wings. And what we saw is these wheels that were next to them. The spirits were in the wheels. We saw above the living creatures, there was this expanse, and sitting on it was a throne, and then we saw the one sitting on a throne. And we talked about why would Ezekiel spend so much time describing this image to us, and just how deep this was. You could, you could talk a whole philosophy semester class on just this image and what all the symbols might mean. But one thing that we noticed is the image depicts that God is not like us, right? God lives in a world that we don't really even see. He's spirit, right? He is a spirit. But at the same time, there are some things about God that seem to be similar to us. He has a human figure. Even God the Father has a human-like figure. He has hands. He has two legs. He has a head. Right? But then, the most strange thing of all is that this God wants to communicate with us. And so, that's the first lesson of Ezekiel, that this God, who we cannot see, that Ezekiel saw, and when Ezekiel saw it, he was shocked by the image of it, how otherworldly it was, and yet this God who is strange to us, who is unlike us, he desires to and effectively communicates with us. So then we get into Ezekiel 2. And so let's get into Ezekiel 2 and let's read. Start at the last verse of Ezekiel 1. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on a day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. And I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, the nations of rebels, who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. 
the descendants also are imputed and stubborn. I send them to you, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you when you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me. And behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me. And it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. What do you see in this short chapter? What do you see here? And then we'll talk about what it all means. Yeah, right? Ezekiel, he should anticipate some level of difficulty. And um, it mentioned this rebellious house, right? What else? Who has something else to stick out to them? Go ahead. Definitely, the Spirit made him obey. What else? Who else wants to spread out something? Go ahead. All right, he said, don't be afraid. Okay, that is true. really Adam's name means man, right? So that's the way, I, the, this is the way I view it. I view it, you gotta, I think from God's perspective is different than ours. When God speaks to people, he's speaking to people, you gotta remember like the, the resurrected spirits of the believers beforehand are with him. So when he says, hey David, son of Abraham, he's like, oh man, that's a man of history. He's not thinking man of history. He's like, When he says son of Adam, it's like, who's the first man? Right? It's not a big, it, it, it's the figure of speech, but in some ways it's not. He's, he's really, he's meaning something by it. Any other comments or anything? He's definitely not happy with the people. Let's think about this in a 
bigger scope here. I wanted to bring everything together, and everybody say good comments. And what I'm going to say is not going to be new. It's going to kind of tie what you guys said all together. But you noticed when we read this chapter, it seems a little repetitive because you're saying one word over and over. What is that word? Rebellious. Right? So when you look at this chapter, you can't help but get rebellious. Now, we could have went on in chapter 3, and I know we all yearn to go through chapter 3, but we got to cut it somewhere, right? But we notice in this chapter 2, we just keep on talking about rebellions. And that should make us think, what about this? Why is God so focused on this rebelliousness? And why is he so focused? Let's also think, who is talking in this chapter? There's only one character talking in this chapter, and that is God the Father, Right? Now, there is also another figure of the Godhead that we see in here, and that would be the Holy Spirit. Right? So we see God the Father speaking, and the Holy Spirit is empowering the prophet to even stand up before God. Here's, here's I think, the thing that's happening here. Let, and let's just take it ground up. We'll go, to the, we'll go to the lower point, and we'll go to the highest point. The first thing is we notice is that the people are rebellious. They're in rebellion, and not only do we know they're in rebellion because it is, if we would have looked at previous the previous chapter, we would have noticed they're not in Israel. They're in Babylon. He's in exile in this moment. When he gets this vision, he's already out of the land. Now, the people haven't completely been out of the land yet, but they're in the process of losing their homeland. Okay? So that's the first thing. He talks about the people being rebellious. He talks about the people not wanting to listen. And he kind of says this phrase that is really hard. He says, don't be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Who in here? Now, listen, I'm a scaredy cat when it comes to books. Okay? I don't want to sit somewhere if I see a spider going to crack where I would be sitting a scorpion is a little bit more serious than a spider right a spider is an inconvenience a scorpion is a danger he said even though briars now what you using for briars well you know you old folks used to say go out there and get a switch and you know you was coming back with something that was going to be a weapon to use against you right he said even though you got briars they're going to try to beat you and you're sitting among scorpions. You're sitting amongst poisonous people who want to sting you. Right? And he's saying, that's the audience you'll have, Ezekiel. And what we get about this chapter is this. This is the call of a prophet. And it's relevant to us because we're prophetic people. It says, in the last days, all my people will dream dreams. My young men will see visions. My old men will dream dreams, even on my male and female servants. It doesn't make any distinction between male and female. There's no distinction between young and old. In some senses, the church age is a prophetic age because we all have something that all the old prophets used to have that not every saint used to have back then, and that was the presence. And what we see is the call of the prophet. And the call of the prophet is the fact that God has given us his word to give. And it is not always pleasant. 
prophet describes God's word, and he doesn't describe it in a pleasant way. He says, a book was laid before him, and it was written on front and back, and on it were words of lamentation, mourning, and woe. That's what he's supposed to take in. Now, I will notice that before he gives, he takes in. There's a few things that are very important about the office of the prophet. Number one, it is God who called the prophet, not the prophet who calls the prophet. We live in a day and age where too many people call in their own number. Right? Too many people. Too many people are standing on the sidelines saying, God, throw me the ball. Right? I remember there was a famous case where a football player was mad he wasn't getting the ball. He said, throw me the ball. Throw me the ball. So they put him out there and tried to throw him the ball. It was a playoff game. This is, if you guys remember, this was DK Metcalf on the Seattle Seahawks. And they were going to throw him the ball, and they threw him the ball. Well, lo and behold, everybody saw him whining like that, so they ran and jumped the plate. Interception returned for a touchdown. Now, his team was winning before that point, and they lost the game. The question you got to ask yourself is, are you more focused on the team winning or you getting the ball? Same thing happened this last weekend. A player called A.J. Brown wanted the ball very bad. His team was winning, but he was frustrated that he couldn't get the ball. What's the point? I believe a lot of people come to church like that. See it in an athlete, they be mad, but when they don't see it in themselves, look in the mirror, you may be A.J. Brown. You may be D.K. Metcalf because you might be saying, when am I getting the ball? Not focus on the fact that the offense is moving along perfectly fine. It don't have to be you. You just got to win. Greatest players know that it doesn't have to be them. It's a team game. Vision, I think people try to make a fantasy world of what they want the world to be. But when God talks about a vision, he actually describes reality in strange ways, but that bring out the truth. Notice that he brought a vision. And does Ezekiel actually eat this paper? Well, in the vision, he does. Later on, we'll see that. But in reality, he doesn't eat the Bible. Nobody in here is saying, hey, take this Bible and rip off 1 Corinthians and eat it tomorrow. Nobody's doing that. But you know what you do have to do? You got to chew on God's word. You know what you do got to do? You got to take it in. And not all of it is pleasant. What about looking at a saint? Even if they're wrong, God might correct them and you might not have to. When you're talking to a saint, God could be speaking through them. When you're looking at a saint, when they go home, God's working on them just like he's working on you. When you're looking at a saint, they could pray for you, and they might get through, and you might not. When you're looking at a saint, you're going to be with them for eternity, so you better like them now. When you're looking at a soul, Paul said it this way, hearing of your love and your faith, I give thanks. Can't give thanks. I, I'm just, and he just at that point in the book of Ephesians, he just burst out of praise. He's like, man, I'm just praising God because I saw you today. And so it's a wonder to me that some people don't want to come to church and makes me think they don't see saints. We should see that this is a precious thing. It's not common because when I go to work, I do not see them. Some of y'all at the mission be quiet. But the rest of us who have normal jobs, we don't see that when we go to work. Amen. Well, let's thank God for seeing another saint.